Hello, hi, Mzanzi. Nolutando Ngakani here, and I am the head of news at Healthform Zanzi. Now, Healthform Zanzi is not just a regular publication about disease and illness. At Healthform Zanzi, we unpack the complex but cohesive relationship between our health and food. Joining me on this podcast, my colleague and my co-sister for the week, Lucinda Dordley. Hey, Lulz. And to your listeners, welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no-holds-barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi, where you don't ever have to suffer in silence with those medical shames ever again. On Sisters Without Shame, we hold your hand as we unpack those ever-so-embarrassing health questions you would not dare ask in public. This podcast is a safe space and judgment-free zone, baby. So if you are having sleepless nights from terrifying stomach groans, or even if you are struggling with bad breath, no problem, you've tuned into the right podcast. Now, Lucinda, I know that every week we usually start with our friend in crisis segment. But occasionally, it's nice to shake things up. Spill the tea, sis. Is it still a thing to shame women for wanting to get acquainted with their bodies? We're always seeking new information about how we can live healthy, well-balanced lives. This week, we are closing off our Women's Health Edition with some insights on the health needs of rural women with award-winning epidemiologist Professor Koresha Karim Abdul. Rural women experience poorer health outcomes and have less access to health care than urban women. Many rural areas have limited numbers of healthcare providers, especially women's health providers. Now, Professor Karim is a leader in HIV and AIDS research. She is stretching the boundaries of scientific excellence in a quest to curb the scourge of HIV and AIDS, particularly among young women in Africa. Over to you, Lulu, and Professor Karim. What are some of the current challenges of women's healthcare in rural South Africa? I think, you know, when we look at some of the challenges that face women, and particularly when it comes to their health, when it comes to sexual reproductive health, I think if you have a cancer, there may be some stigma associated, there may be some fear, but somehow there's this issue around sex and sexuality and sexual identity that's not just restricted to rural women. But I think it's a very basic challenge we have in awareness of our bodies and particularly our reproductive tracts, our our sexual components of our body or facets. We've been sort of brought up to live in almost sort of ignorant education, (laughs) information, and then to know, to seek services. There's large distances to get to health facilities. These costs involved, while the healthcare itself may be at no cost, the transport costs, if it's not within walking distance, which is very common. And then you've got competing priorities in women headed households. And if you've got young children or the elderly, or you've got to collect firewood and water, the sort of your health becomes a lower priority. So it all comes down to also how women are valued in society and devaluing of women, even though we're 50% of the population and we know that how important women are for social cohesion, looking after, so you're looking after children, looking after the elderly, 
looking after everything and also, you know, thinking about food security and income and so on. It's a lot of things going on. And I think even women who may know and have the knowledge and wherewithal sometimes put their own health the lowest in terms of other competing priorities. That's true. We always, we're the last ones on our list of responsibilities all the time. I know. And when we talk, whether it's about HIV or whether it's about COVID, we say carers need to remember to care for themselves. And self-care is so important, but somehow it becomes like if you're a nurse or if you're a doctor or you're a healthcare worker, but it's actually something that should be applying across the board. Like women need to take self-care very seriously and they taking care of their health means the entire society and community benefits from a healthy woman. And that's why putting that up front is so important. I love that, how you put that. <laughs> and then, you know, how often should women be getting their pelvic exams or pap tests? Why is there still a stigma attached to visiting gynees in rural areas or just overall? You know, the question of when is and how often, there's a piece where we have health policies and very good health policies, particularly in South Africa. And the thing is that the providers know it. Quite often the users don't know it. And then you know, if we take sexual reproductive health, for example, if a woman is pregnant and goes to antenatal care, she's likely to have an HIV test. It's also less likely that she would learn if she's HIV positive. There's a lot of interventions that would be put into place to minimize transmission to the unborn infant, and maybe even postpartum interventions. And somehow in that program on maternal and child health, the M part gets lost, the maternal part, and then even in the postpartum period. And these are important opportunities when women interact and interface with healthcare delivery systems where more education needs to take place. And beyond that, you know, as you mentioned, anybody going out into communities, we need to be looking at how else can we be using the opportunity we are in terms of advancing development efforts and issues that we also put health in there and what are those so never miss an opportunity and sometimes it's just a minute or two to draw attention to it so firstly we have now hpv vaccines and that vaccination and access to the vaccination particularly for young girls is very important and young boys but in terms of screening the rest of the adults because of the rationing of the vaccine going on, it used to be recommended for women over 30, it should be annual. And if you have no abnormalities detected, that's fine. If there's particular presentations and depending on the severity of those presentations suggestive of cervical cancer, then you should do it more frequently. And there's a whole lot of other interventions that kick in from there. But with HIV, what we know is that young women are disproportionately impacted. And so if you take 15 to 24-year-old women, women under 30, in most parts of sub-Saharan Africa, they bear a disproportionate burden of HIV infection. And if you have HIV, we find that the complications during pregnancy are more frequent, maternal deaths are much higher, 
but also progression of HPV infection, which is very common. In fact, in some studies that I've done by age, and this includes urban and rural women, by age 22, 23, we have 70% of the women already have at least one type of HPV infection. And you know, there's those strains of HPV that causes cervical cancer and the, the other HPV strains. Now, the amount of HPV that you have, the number, unlike like HIV, where you have one uh, HIV, you have HIV infection, with HPV, you can get infected with multiple strains. And, and when you have HIV and HPV, so one HPV infection enhances your risk of getting HIV infection. And if you have HIV infection, the speed with which the changes take you towards cervical cancer is much faster. So what's recommended is that if you have HIV infection, so ignore what I told you about over 30, that applies if you're not infected. If you have HIV, then we encourage more frequent screening. So we say start the screening earlier. And in fact, it's not a bad idea for women, whether you have HIV or not, so we're not stigmatizing those women with HIV and not, is to do regular screening as soon as you're sexually active, to do at least annual HPV screening and do the HIV testing. And if you are eligible for the HPV vaccine, is to get the HPV vaccine because these issues, it's not one virus. In fact, <laughs> the three most common viruses we have in women and young women in particular, and especially in sub-Saharan Africa, is herpes simplex virus. Two, HSV, it's also referred to HSV, HSV2, and then we have HPV, and then we have HIV. And they're all very much related to women's health, general health. For example, you know, if they poor menstrual hygiene practices, what happens is the bacteria that are usually there in your genital tract to keep it healthy, to keep the pH at a level where the bacteria and you live very happily in good harmony. Some women, for example, hear that you must do and you must put things in the genital tract. And as soon as you upset that bacteria, which we find is quite common, we have a situation where bacteria that do harm start to dominate. And it's very hard to get back to that beautiful normal, healthy uh, genital tract setup we have. And so supporting even as young girls start to menstruate, ensuring they know good sanitary practices are during menstruation. And what is menstruation? And there's a thing about the cervix being open, even every time you have a drop of blood. And sometimes people think about menstruation only during the heavy bleeding days. But it's actually a good few days where you just have a drop or two. That tells you your cervix is still open. And if you do things in your general tract, whether it's for hygienic reasons or to enhance sexual experiences, those things actually pose dangers to you. And so your question was around how often and what. You know, we start off with, we born with a beautiful, healthy general tract. How do we keep it like that? And the natural processes of monthly menstruation and without interfering, it keeps everything working really nicely. 
when we start to interfere with internal uh, washing, putting things into the general act, somebody tells you, oh, you're smelling and what is good smell or not? And, oh, you think there's too much, uh, you're too wet. And what is a normal discharge on sexual arousal? We need to know that. We need to know at different uh, stages of the normal menstrual cycle when you have more discharge that's normal. And over, uh, don't get too excited about drying yourself. And, you know, part of that lubrication during the phases where you are fertile or not, when you use contraceptives, there's a whole range of contraceptives. We need to choose the contraceptive that's most suitable and least harmful to you. And then we have to start talking about other things. And so starting with good general health and maintaining good general health even before you think about sex and as you transition, you start menstruating. And then when you move from menstruating to fertility control devices or start to be sexually active, how do you grow that knowledge? And it sounds like a whole lot, but I'm telling you, women make thousands of decisions each day for everybody. And, you know, I remember a time when seatbelt wearing wasn't compulsory. And we had to think actively. These days, you get into a car, even the children know, put the seatbelt on, don't get in. So we've got to build this knowledge where it's muscle memory. And we're not thinking about it, that we know our bodies well. There's no shame in that knowledge. In fact, there's shame in lack of knowledge and ignorance. And when to seek care, what, and this starts with the sexuality education, sex education. It's nonsensical to say if you give people information, it's going to lead to X, Y, and Z. No, ignorance leads to X, Y, and Z. So the, I keep coming back to the importance of comprehensive education and information that both girls and boys have access to. But that it's your body and you need to know about your body and you need to know how to look after your body. And that comes with knowledge as a prerequisite. Then we start to look at how do you understand when do you need to seek care? And then how do we overcome obstacles when you seek care so that that's accessible? And it's not just about free health care, but care that is accessible in the hours and so on. And while it seems like a lot, and I speak a lot too, is that it's not as complicated as that all these things I'm telling you seem to be coming fast and furiously, but that as we go step by step, one step at a time, we build our knowledge, we build our knowledge so that our information guides us when things are don't look right. And if they don't look right to you, you must seek care because you know your body and you know what it is like when it's healthy and well. And if you're uncomfortable with something, don't ask the neighbor, don't ask the sister, maybe ask the auntie, but go to a healthcare professional and be there strong about, you know, something is wrong. Don't let somebody shoo you away too quickly and rather be cautious than, uh, than stay with something. Our bodies are beautiful. They're healthy. They give birth and give life. Uh, and we do so much besides the pleasure that comes from our bodies that it, and we must look after it. We must nurture it. And knowledge starts and then early seeking of services.
I'm picking up from a lot of um, health practitioners also who say that like you are basically the captain of your vehicle and you should know what works and what doesn't work for it as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I always say like somehow the bad grapevines are the ones who tell you what to do and not to do. So we have to find good grapevines, the mm-hmm. ones who support you, who understand you, will be able to go with you. Like, especially if you're a young woman, there's a certain amount of fear going to a clinic, particularly around sexual reproductive health issues. And I hope we get to a point where people think less about morals and judgmental issues and really put and respect the person and 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 commend the person a young person especially who's coming in to learn and you know there were times where we had an auntie we could go to and ask things and these days life is very different and we depend more and more on on other sources of information and we need to be careful when we select who we're going to ask for advice that we ask the right people people who will give us reliable information people who have your best interests at heart and you all have a bestie and you know these days we have videos we have youtubes and while data access may be an obstacle in rural areas and and affordability is another issue in terms of digital access i think there's a lot you can learn from good sources and by being part of a good networks of besties who really have your health at heart and your best interests at heart. We have your back at all times. All times, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Think of you. <laughs> Can we then talk about also what the difficulties are in implementing like measures to better protect women, especially against sexually transmitted diseases? So part of this uh, challenges that we face is as scientists, we can come up with solutions. <laughs> and for example, you know, all the stuff I've been telling you comes from studies that we do, so including developing interventions like pre-exposure prophylaxis and now improving on that and HPV vaccines, treatment for sexually transmitted infections diagnostic tools that at the bedside you can know if somebody has x or y or z and you see that with hiv testing it used to take months before now within 10 15 minutes you can have your results you can have pregnancy test results we even you know all of these advances we have on diagnostics on vaccines on therapeutics they only the first step for it to realize its potential we have to get it to people and here first step is policy then it's program and i think in programming there's the one of providers but it's also about users and it's about the infrastructure and i think with hiv we've tried to we've done a lot more in terms of strengthening the capacity of healthcare providers in terms of strengthening our healthcare delivery systems and increasingly of making users more informed so i think it's that whole mix that needs to come together and if we if we can't solve it by just strengthening health systems and access to health services we also have to make sure and a lot of our health services have been doing well in terms of meeting needs of women but when we're talking about sex it's about men and women and for example you know women will go in for antenatal care they will get an hiv test but if they take that hiv test home 
the messenger gets shot and you see the violence and the threats and the loss of security and accommodation and, or, and the, you know, men going away. So unless we get together, like uh, it takes at least two people to have sex. So when we're talking sexual reproductive health, if we don't include men in that and our services don't keep hours that accommodate men and women accessing We'll have all of the responsibilities weighing down even more on already heavily weighted women with all their responsibilities. So if we start with young boys and girls and they understand and we start to shift gender norms at a very early age and we get to addressing the root cause of vulnerability of women, which is the power dynamics. And they are getting infected if we take HIV from men or even HSV2 or HPV. So we can't start to change male behavior in, when they're in their 20s and 30s. We have to start that at a very early process. And as mothers, where we're responsible for both young boys and girls, it's our duty and responsibility also to start telling and teaching our young boys and girls what is right, what is wrong. And those norms and behaviors we take into adolescence and we take into adulthood. And these are things we, we can, there's some things we can do right away and some things we have to continue to work with over time. It takes two to tango at the end of the day. <laughs> That's right. And we have to keep reminding ourselves about that. And it's about Everything, the more we share those responsibilities, the more everyone benefits. And we don't have this disproportionate burden calling mm -hmm. one sex. And then with young women, for example, for me, it's saying we do such a great job these days in ensuring our infant boys and girls survive the first year. We don't differentiate who goes for vaccination our growth monitoring, and so on. And then you go to age five, same story, very little difference between our boy children and our girl children. Go to age 10, again, the survival benefits are for both young boys and young girls. But as soon as we get to secondary sexual development, we start to see a divergence. And there we see already before a young girl even reaches puberty or full, you know, age of maturity, 18 or 21, we're seeing her path is different. She falls pregnant, she has to drop out of school. We know just completing high school is so protective. Mm -hmm. And so when she drops out of school, she's now within a year is likely to have a second child. And then she's caught up in endless cycles of vicious cycles of poverty and dependency. And that already, if 25, 30% of your population gets sunk there, then how do we rise above it? Particularly in Africa, where 65% of our population is under the age of 35. So this is our asset. And our asset can only be protected if we protect women and boys and girls through this period of transition of adolescence and ensure that as they reach adulthood and their cognitive development is complete, they can make the type of rational decisions. But when they're getting groomed to be predated upon with men grooming them for sex and grooming them to be like this and like that, then who benefits from it? Nobody. And we start early. We've got to make sure we see young women through this vulnerable period. 
so that they can realize their potential in a democracy like we have in South Africa, where you can do anything as a woman. So finish high school, your outcomes are so different. And, you know, there will be time to have relationships. There will be time to do everything, but one step at a time. And I feel schooling and completing high school is such an important first step for young women and don't sacrifice it. (laughs) And I think that as attractive as it is to be desired by an older man, as attractive as it is to be given all these wonderful gifts and have, you know, the latest weave in your hair and the latest jeans and shoes. When you have a career, you can pay for those things yourself and you can enjoy it to say, I did it for myself and I was able to do it. Comes free in life. But put the hard work in when you're young, finish the school and your opportunities will come and you will make those opportunities. And That's the vision we need to be sharing with young women. You can be anyone you want to be. It is keep your nose to the grind. There'll be time for fun and there'll be time for lots of fun. And you can do it as an equal and you can do it with your head held high and where you can be who you are and realize your dreams. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Prof Karim. Remember to check out the detailed article on the state of women's reproductive health in rural South Africa on healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical jam, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. That's H-E-L-L-O at healthformzanzi.co.za. Or you can send us an SOS to 076-132-0454. Nana, we could never blue tick you. Those were quite the insights from Prof Karim this week. What is the take-home message for you this week, Lucinda? I am once more reminded that women do so much. The least we could all do is encourage women in our communities to take care of themselves. Women in rural areas spend more time on household work and bringing up families. As a result, they tend to spend their waking hours collecting water, fuel, caring for children and processing food. This life of virtual servitude is perpetuated by poor rural infrastructure and systemic patriarchy, which hinders the development and participation of women in the economic sphere. Ladies, Ichege, while you wear many hats, it's important to take care of you first. That brings us to the end of episode 12 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Nakani, And me, Lucinda Dordley. Have a great week and remember to show us some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. <laughs>